Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Anything But Typical podcast. And in anything but typical fashion, we've got an anything but typical entrepreneur, and his story is really cool. And uh, he's dealing with something that's very much needed in the city that we love called the Queen City, Charlotte, North Carolina. And um, so, Christopher, it's good to have you on here. Here's the scenario. You and your son, who is also now walking the campus of Queens University in Charlotte, North Carolina, as you have, you guys are walking down the campus and somebody recognizes you, even though they're, they're, you know, they recognize your son as well, but somebody recognizes you and says, hey, that's Christopher Dennis. They start talking about you, but they don't realize that the sound is carrying, the wind's blowing at their back, and it's coming right into your ears. What is it that you would like somebody else to be saying about you? I'd like them first to say that I'm a God-fearing man. Um, and then second, I'd like them to talk about my impact in the community and how I, when they, they've seen me operate in the community, I'm always putting the community first and looking at ways to be an innovative um, visionary for the community, but also building businesses that are sustainable in the areas that they've seen me work in. Man, that's a good one. I think, uh, Ben, you can take it into, and we can peel back that onion even further. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, so first, before we get into the conversation, so Christopher is the principal of eFix Development, eFix Housing Solutions. He's a founder of the uh, the nonprofit community build uh sorry, community dream builders. And then like Gary alluded to, we've got, we have a lot of things to be able to dive into in addition to those things. But Christopher, I want you to start uh, just by telling the listeners what eFix Development, eFix Housing Solutions does. And then we'll, we'll obviously be able to go from there. Wow, so eFix Housing is our residential component. So that's where we actually work on um, affordable housing, which I say more workforce housing, providing um, high end quality homes in a marginalized or well-deserved areas in Charlotte, predominantly all within uh, Mecklenburg County. EFIX Development Corp is our new branch, and EFIX um, Development Corp is where we work on our commercial redevelopment, like the one you see behind us here um, is one of the developments that we're working on on Bayesville Road. Um, and so what we do on the on EFIX the e development side is, again, not only is developed, but we we are developing class A developments in marginalized communities and predominantly right now working um, in the baseball Road corridor. And again, everything is centered around impact. So I want to go further into impact, but before we do, I want to go a little farther back and, and just tell us first how you got into real estate in the first place. Wow. Um, I'll tell you, I was in, so I'll, I'll start, I always tell people I start my story off by, by being um, transparent. So um, when, I, when I grew up, I grew up in a small town in South, South Carolina, which is, uh, I'd say, half the, a quarter of the size of Charlotte. So in looking at Charlotte, it was always a big city to me. When I moved to Charlotte, um, I came looking for opportunities, and I ended up began working at Bank of America and being in the National Guard. The bank taught me a lot about strategic and being tactical from the military. And by com combining those two thought processes together, one day I was sitting in my office at Bank of America, and a group of my um, colleagues came in from Chicago, New York, and Atlanta. And when I was drawing on the board, we were talking, they were talking and doing an icebreaker. And as they were doing that icebreaker, they were telling me the story about how there was a traffic jam um, at, on 85 and they had to go all the way up Graham Street, go all the way up 85 and come down Graham Street. And they turned through a community called Lockwood. And while driving through that, that neighborhood, the, the cab driver said to them in a, in a joking voice that, slide into the center of the seats, slide into the center and lock your doors. And they did it. And so when they got to the office, that was the icebreaker conversation. And by having that conversation, they turned to me and said, so, you know, we, we thought crime in Chicago and New York was bad, but wow, we, was, we, were, we were afraid driving through this neighborhood. And they said, so they turned to me and they said, well, Chris, are you leading, I'm, I'm leading the meeting. They said, well, Chris, where do you live? Now that day I had a choice. Either I could, either I could, either I could say I lived in Ballantyne or some great area across the other side of the city. I said Lockwood, and that day I knew that 
innately, if there's a problem or there's a challenge in the community and you're not willing, you're willing to not say it's someone else's problem, but your problem, and then do something about it, that's how I got in, in, into residential real estate. And that's how Efix Housing was born because I saw a need in a, in a community that, was, that had a narrative that did not define that community. And at that time, I didn't realize it. Um, I had just moved into that community, community to live because I wanted to be closer to downtown. But the joke of it was that they had just did an article in the Charlotte Observer saying that the Lockwood community was the top 25 most dangerous neighborhood to live in America. Let that sink in. Wow. I had just moved into that community. So that day, standing here talking to my colleagues, I realized that I wanted to make an impact. And I, and I tell people, I, you will hear me say that, that word a lot because that's what drives me is making an impact. I saw an opportunity of a community that was mislabeled, that was going through challenges. And I knew that I could make an impact. And I challenge everyone to use that I statement. I can make an impact. So and that was about to be Efix. You you've used your positions to create positive change, right? Like Gary talks all, all the time about people who are ripple makers and you can see your path of positivity and impact rippling out from, from beyond you. But there's, there's a very big step from somebody saying, I want to make an impact to actually being able to implement some of this stuff. So take us from that aha moment you just described to actually being able to implement some of those things in your life and be able to see that you're making that change you wanted to do. Okay, well, I'm going to start in, in, in two different ways. I'm gonna, I, I have to tell you a little bit more about me, and then I'll tell you about how that process morphed from that day standing in front of that board. Because Perfect. you have to think a little bit further. When, when I tell people, you know, you look at people that are entrepreneurs that are successful, it's not about what they're doing. It's the journey of what got them there. And my journey um, didn't start like most people. I was born with a learning disability. And so they put me in a resource class from the first to sixth grade, first to sixth grade. So imagine going to school every day and you know, you're seeing everyone get on the bus at a bus stop, but then you realize that you're the only one that doesn't get on that same bus and you end up at a school where you never see your classmates. And so in that resource class, they did something that was unique to me. I got to learn about, um, how comprehension skills, reading reading from the beginning and looking towards the end. But in that class, they taught us to look at the end and read back towards the beginning. So why am I telling you that? Because my thought process is the same thought process I have when I deal with communities. I look for the solution and work backwards in the problem, whereas most people are looking at the problem, trying to find the solution. And I think that's a, a unique um, skill set that a lot of entrepreneurs have. And so when I stood that, when I stood that, that uh, when I was in that meeting that day, I realized something that we could say how bad that community was, and I could look at the issues that it had was from crime, and I could say, let's look at the problem, but I started looking at the solution, and this is where it really began for me. So when I'm, I had already bought my first home in the community, and it was in the center of the community, and I knew then that something had to be done, but didn't know what it was, so I went in and got engaged in the HOA. Now it gets a little comical because. I went to the, I thought, you know, you know, being at the bank at Bank of America learning strategic skills and then having tactical skills from the military of not being afraid and knowing how to work with people on all different levels. I just said, well, you know what, I'll go to the HOA meeting and learn more about the community, do my research. And I go to the HOA meeting and there were three, three women in the HOA meeting. And it was Miss Miss Kibler, Miss uh Miss Miss um uh, Jackson, and it was one of the ladies there. And, they were talking about these three seniors talking about the community, how much they love the community. But one thing they said that really shocked me, they said, you know, the community was, they, they were so afraid to go outside that they would actually lock their doors and lock and, and, and put votes in their windows. And it hit me for a second. I said, wait a minute. So you're so afraid of the community that you're going to put votes in your windows and lock your doors. Well, if the house caught on fire, how are you going to get out? And I thought about my grandma and I said, that's not, my idea of what a community looks like. So what did I do? I said, well, here's, here's some things. I, I, I started social impact first. So I got engaged with the HOA and we started doing block parties and re-engaging the community, trying to get people out of the homes. But that didn't work because we were seeing a cycler, a, a cycler effect of the neighborhood individuals that were there because of crime typically stayed about six to seven months and they were gone. So no matter what impact I put in place, 
it wasn't working at that time. And so I really said, you know, we've got to do something different. So I ended up, I ended up saying, let's, let's look at the community. If you say it's bad and they had drug problems, well, let's go in and look at the, the houses that were dilapidated, that were drug houses, and I'd buy them. So I went in and um, I, I didn't buy shoes or didn't buy um, expensive cars. I said, I started buying houses. So I used a lot of my funds to go and buy the houses that were dilapidated and the ones that were owned by what I considered to be slumlords. And by doing that, um, I started to see a change. But the challenge for me was, you know, I was in a population that couldn't afford um, market rents. So I knew my impact had to be greater. So with eFix Housing, I came up with a model. I never put someone in a house that my grandmother wouldn't live in. Remember I told you when I saw those three ladies? I saw the three ladies that resembled my grandmother and she played a major impact in my life. But when I formed my company, I knew that my impact and my, my core statement was very simple. Again, I, I, had never, I didn't come from a, a family who, who ran businesses, but I knew from being at Bank of America and, and being around and watching different leaders that my core statement had to, had to have a true impact. And, and when I started eFix Housing, it was funny. I, I mean, that was, that was my mission statement, to make sure I never put someone in a house that my grandma wouldn't live in. And it worked. So we gave high quality housing at a discounted rate. Now, that sounds like a heartfelt position, but as an entrepreneur on the backside, we talk about what the issues are, on the backside, that became a challenge because um, when I went to banks to get loans, they didn't see my mission. They saw my numbers and they were like, well, you've got these great properties and you're doing this great thing, but your rents are too low. And I'm like, I'm trying to help a community stabilize. You're looking at numbers that, that aren't reflective and you're telling me I can't make this happen. And so that's where, you know, you really start to, your, your why starts to get tested and you really start to sit back and say, is this the direction I really want to take? And you really have to kind of put boots on the ground and say, my impact is greater than my challenge. And so I really got, um, I really started to do different things and make it happen. But before long, the impact of what we were doing with the housing and putting people in houses like a tree, we were able to see people staying in houses longer, which they were able to be rooted and they were actually more becoming more beneficial to the community, getting engaged, doing different things in the community because they love the community. Also, they love the house. And, it, and it, it, over time, it just jived and it worked. So we took what was a, a core statement, created a model, and engaged the community in a unique, unique way. And it just kind of formulated into a, a it just morphed into its own, it, it gave itself its own life and it worked out. So we end up um, buying a number of homes in the community and we stabilized it. But we, but I, I will say this, my goal was never to buy homeless homes. So we, I, my target was never working to buy homeless homes. We only bought houses that were dilapidated or houses that um, were challenges for the community or owned by um, other landlords. Man, Christopher, I love that. Um, you and I were both at Bank of America. I was rolling out to run bizjournals.com at the time that you were rolling in to Bank of America. Wow. So um, Hugh McCall was still there, I think, at the helm when you were there, right? Yep, he was. And he was very impactful so, in life. Absolutely. I mean, you know, we can thank Hugh McCall largely for that beautiful skyline in Charlotte, North Carolina. And he didn't plaster... Bank of America on every one of those towers that had Bank of America people in it because it'd be like Bank of America Tower 1 through 35 or something crazy like that. But he he didn't do that. But he had a heartbeat. And I don't know if you ever heard this from him, but I heard it from him many times. I wasn't in his office all that frequently, but I was in his office from time to time. Thanks to my boss, Helen Eggers, who is still there then, and she is still there now. <laughs> She's the best leader I ever worked under. Um, but I heard him say, I want Charlotte, North Carolina to be a world-class city that's a great place to raise a family and grow a business, right? And what I'm hearing you talk about is integral to all of those things. And the last time I met with him, was introducing a, a friend, um, Colin Pinckney, to him. 
because of what Colin is doing at the Harvest Center. And I know that Mr. McCall's pet passion right now and has been for a long time is affordable housing. So um, I'm just curious, did, you know, talk to us about any influence that he had, his, like he, he's a legendary visionary and, um, and a, you know, business builder, but also a community builder. Um, anything that he's done or interactions or any inspi inspiration from him that is part of your journey? I'd be curious if, if there is anything there. Well, I'll tell you, again, I, I, I love stories and um, I'll, I'll say high level, but I'll definitely say when I'm at, at Bank of America, I never really got a chance to, to, to spend a lot of time with you. I saw him walk in the buildings and we, I've always saw him as a leader and I would watch him. I, I, I'm saying this looking back, I was sitting in my office and watch him on, on, on when we would do our, um, our sessions at, for, the, for, the, for the corporation. And the one thing I always noticed about, noticed about Hugh was how he carried himself and he always did everything by handshake and was very, you know, it was, it was a conversation and he was always just there. So fast forward, I went to Queens and went through Leadership Charlotte, got, got my MBA from Queens. And I met with my, my professor there, Bill Berry, and we were talking and I was telling him about my model of community and how I wanted to do this whole shift of taking community and rebuilding it in a different way. And he said, you should talk to Hugh. And so <laughs> um, when we graduated, I had, a, I had an actual session to sit down with Hugh and we, we talked. And he did not only just respond, Hugh actually came to my community and saw my business and, um, and really took an interest and did an investment of just not only talking about it, but doing something. So he, he walked Lockwood, we, we talked about my vision, we talked about the, the plan, and he really saw the work that I was doing in the community was needed. And um, he gave me some insight and he became an investor. And, and, and I, I thank him for all the work, for those words, because again, seeing him in the office, but then seeing him in the community and realizing the impact that he had in Charlotte, but also the impact on my life. I tell people, you know, it was, it was life-changing. I'll just, I'll, I'll end with this saying, when we had our conversation, I've never shared a tear like I shared when I walked when, when he walked away and he just just saw the vision of what I was doing in the community and he believed in it. I, I sat in my car and I cried for at least about 30 minutes, just being transparent. Man, that, that is beautiful. And and Hugh McCall is is one of those great examples for me <clears throat> that yeah, he had a perch of power. There's no doubt about it. But NCNB was not a humongous perch of power like Bank of America is today, yeah. you know? And, um, and he helped really transform the city, but you were doing the same thing. You were doing the same thing in your part of the city. And what's interesting, I'd like you to talk a little bit more of what's happening in that North End area, Lockton, but I mean, Camp North End, all of that, it, like, it's unbelievable. You know, Optimus Hall, like, wow. I mean, that's some crazy stuff. So talk to the, the listeners, because we have people actually from all over the world that don't understand. They maybe never have been in, in Charlotte, North Carolina. Talk about what it was like maybe in 2000 versus 2022 and, and some of the stuff that's been going on. Well, I'll tell you, um, again, that article was... Uh depiction of a neighborhood, it was a perception, but it, all, it also captured a lot of the reality. Um, the, the area had gone through, uh, I, I think, defunding, and there was drugs and prostitution on the streets. Um, people had kind of lost the vision of what community looked like, um, and it had kind of morphed into a state where it just needed a spark of hope. And so when I came and we started working with the HOA, I think it started that hope. And I needed to do something that was radical. And I tell anybody, and I'm a, when I look at my leadership style, I'm a chaotic, lead, a chaotic leader, meaning I, I can, I'm the leader that wants to go into the middle of chaos and make things happen. And so <laughs> I found strength there and I found support too. And that's when we launched our nonprofit, Community Dream Builders. You heard um, that it's mentioned of that in the beginning. Community Dream Builders um, had one key mission, providing an access for communities to thrive. And in the beginning, the quasi-motion of that was 
there was no, we didn't have a full direction on where we wanted to go, but we knew Thrive had to mean rebuilding, reshaping, re-energizing, re-engaging communities. Now you say, how does a 5K come out of that? Um, we were sitting one day and we were looking at the community. I was like, guys, we got to get people engaged, but I got to get, get this narrative of what just came out a year ago, um, you know, to, to light to say, this is a beautiful community. So we started 5K. Now imagine this, a 98% Afro-American community, 1% Caucasian um, community that did not run, that wasn't health conscious at the time, wasn't focused on, on, on that aspect of life, but there was potential there. So I went to some partners, we talked over the idea, I shopped around, I, I got minimal buy-in, but I knew that I knew that I had to make it happen. So we came up, we approached the music factory, partnered, partnered with the music factory as an anchor and said we we're gonna do a 5K that year. I kid you not, we raised um, funds from the local community and small businesses that wanted to be a part. And I stood there that day um, with one for, one for your life, and we stood at, at, at the music factory. Let me tell you a little bit more about the 5K. It's not a typical 5K. It is the NC Music Factory 5K. Now it's called the Average Exchange 5K, but it is a rock concert. If you're in the rock music, you would have loved to come out here to bands, engage in the community, and, and really see music along the routes. But that first year, we had a rock band that was there, and it was, they were amazing. But I remember at 6, 8, about 5.30 a.m. setting up, and I'm standing there, and I'm like, no one's going to come. Who wants to come run through a neighborhood that has been labeled as a top 25 most dangerous neighborhood to live in America? And I stood there, and I remember just seeing people from everywhere, 500-plus people just coming to an event that we started that was going to change the community. And um, I'm sorry. That's beautiful. That was emotional, but um, it was it was it was very inspiring that people got behind that movement, and the people that 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 know about the Smart District and know about North End, that was a um, I think the energy that not only sparked the change in Lockwood, but drove the change entire North End corridor. Because later you, you saw pop, it, it popped into the Smart District. Camp North End came on board with the uh, with Adco. We saw things happening um, across the tracks with Noda, and it just was a big energy. And that 5K went on for 10 years. And so imagine 5,000 people running through a community. And the hindsight was the first year we did it, um, when we when it, when it got back to the music factory after running the route through the neighborhood, I asked them two questions. I said, what did you think about the route? Oh, we loved it. It was a great route. Man, we saw a beautiful community. Then I said, um, I asked them, I said, what'd you think about um, what'd you think about the, the, the event itself? And they 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 really enjoyed the 5K. I said, well, I want to tell you on national on 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 WSO TV, I want to tell you, thank you so much because now you changed the narrative. Because a year ago this, this neighborhood was labeled as a top 25 most dangerous neighborhood, and you just ran through it. So apparently that narrative was wrong. And that was <laughs> the launch of a mindset change. And I cloned the statement that um, a community is a way, uh, I'm sorry. The hood is a state of mind. The community is a way of life. And I, I encourage my community to stop calling the community the hood because it was being treated as such. And that was a mind shift. And when that happened, we saw Lockwood become um, a start on the, on the steps towards becoming a real community. And um, we saw a lot of change. We got engagement from local organizations like um, the, the, North End, the North End Partners. We got engagement from the city. We got engagement from other businesses that really came on board, um, like the Holding, um, uh, Linda Holding Corporation. They all got on board, and then we we saw stuff with um, happening with Camp North End, and it was a huge cycle of businesses and communities working in a unique way, not only because of the event, but because of the energy that had got started. I think that morphed into more than just that. What year was that when you started it? Two thousand nine, two thousand ten. Wow, that was uh, massive for that time because anybody that's in Charlotte that has been to Camp North End and seen you know that smart district with Duke Energy and their innovation lab and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's it's really amazing, but, but that was that was some visionary pioneering. 
is what you were doing. You know? Yeah, it, it took a it, it took a lot of um, work to get it done. But I tell you again, it goes back to impact. When I saw the, the need in the community, I knew that it was, and that's what fueled me. It fueled me. I want to see. I believe that the community and I believe the residents deserve better. And I knew that we could be a part of that change. And I'm happy for all the partners that we that, that partner with Community Dream Mills to make that happen. And we were able to pull off some successful things. And I just, it just, I sat back and I, I still sit back and I, I, I smile because we were in a meeting talking about um, at a 5K event and they were talking about successful races in Charlotte. And the, group, the entire group was talking about the 5K. And I was like, wow, we did that. So it was, it was, a, it was an amazing feat. So Christopher, something that's kind of been a theme so far in this conversation is the mix between a few different pieces. It's a mix of uh, building up a community, mix of impacting others, and then a mix of being able to run successful businesses. And, and you've seen a lot of companies like Tom Shoes' most recent example where they have this impact that's baked right into their brand, and then they, they end up going away from it, right? Like they don't do the buy one, give one anymore. So you had early on people look at your numbers and say, your, your rent is too low or, or you're doing these, these things. How have you been able to balance creating the impact while still running a profitable, successful business? I'll tell you, you know, why. I, I, you, I do a lot of talks, I do motivational speaking, and I'm speaking to corporations now about your why. I mean, your why is, is, grain, is grain deep inside of you. Again, I told you from the beginning that you know, I started from a resource class, so I believe in, in, in anything is possible. You know, I, I served 23 years in the military. Anything is possible, and your why has to be great enough. And my why was centered around the fact that I wanted to build successful communities. I wanted to see people have an opportunity. I wanted to try and rebuild and reshape people's lives. And so, um, you know, and, and when I started, when, we, when you muffle the business side along with the social aspect, because that's what I was doing. I was a social entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. entrepreneur. That's, a, that's a term. Yep. And so I did the social side of entrepreneurship and then gradually pushed myself into full-fledged entre- as an entrepreneur. But the challenge I had was when you start to look at that, I was, I was at my desk one day and I was doing numbers because now we are at, you know, we went from, you know, a, a hobby, I call it, of one house to now around 20 houses. And it wasn't, it wasn't a hobby anymore, you know. When God give to, to whom much is given, much is required. And so now I had to operate more like a business. And I'll never tell you, I had a friend of mine, and she, she's amazing. She's still rocking with me to this day. We were going over some numbers in a folder, and she said, you know, what is this folder? It's, it's, there's like 30 folders of just banks, and it was a whole list of banks. And I paused for a second because I was – I wanted to give it an answer, but um, it hurt. And I, I turned to her and I said, these, these are all the banks over 15 years that told me no. <laughs> they wouldn't lend to me. Yeah. And I, I, I literally started crying because mm-hmm. it hurt. But I said, you know, I never gave up. And so I tell people, you know, as an entrepreneur, we're, we get the no's, but I was always seeking the yes. And it took... You know, and I want to I want to frame that a little bit more deeper because I want people to really understand, you know, when you're when you're doing a mission and you're driving impact and your why is great enough, the no's don't matter. And what do I, why do I say that? Because and for those people out there listening, I really want you to understand I was you know, I was carrying at the time I couldn't get a, the traditional banks to lend me. So I couldn't go to Bank of America, even though I worked with Bank of America, they wouldn't give me loans. Um, they turned it down. They were on the top of that list. Um, you know the banks there, um, and I got told no fifteen. I, um, uh, I got I got told no thirty times. But what happened was, and and how? Why is that so important? Because I was carrying. When you think about your residential, your home mortgage, you may be at four percent. An investor rate at that time was at six or seven percent. Well, I was carrying um, over a million dollars in debt at fourteen percent. Oh, wow. That's the same thing my, uh, my banker said. Wow. And again, I was carrying that because I couldn't get loans, but I knew impo- how important it was to 
ensured that I provided the highest quality and I kept affordable housing, workforce housing in the community. And it was a challenge. I mean, I, for a few years, I was like, God, what are we doing here? But, um, <laughs> but I never gave up. He never gave up. And I never gave up on my mission. And it, it turned around and it really started to become, you know, not only stabilized, but it, it started to grow. I started to see families, you know, I had people that asked me, what is, what is my biggest, um, what do I see as, as my biggest return and not talking about money, but it's, it was seeing a young kid grow from nine to going to college and knew I had an impact in that. And it happened in Lockwood community. And it just, that was, that was my give back. And it just, it, it touched me. And so now we're at a point where we're seeing, they did an article um, in 2000 and I want to say it was, it was a few years back, but they talked about how Lockwood now is one of the fastest emerging communities in the U.S. So it went from being the top 25 most dangerous neighborhood in America to now being an emerging community. And um, it's now, it's, it, it just makes a difference. And so, you know, when you play a part in that, you really start to see why that my why was prevalent and my impact was great. And I just believed in the mission. Um, and that's kind of what, what drove me to want to do more and, and continue to, to kind of drive that out. So we not only did the EFIX housing model, we pushed into community dream builders, which kind of worked on the social side and built a great team there. And then we started looking at other communities to do the same thing and, and impact those communities in the same way. And that's why I'm now, now today. So Christopher, there's a whole lot in your story here that's like super beautiful, but it's also, it resonates with anybody who has said, I need to make a change. I need to impact. I want to go do this. It's a fire in the belly. And it sounds like you weren't, you know, and you and I are similar in this fact where we didn't, from a young age go, oh, I want to be an entrepreneur. I didn't even know what was one was. And I don't think that we even had a term for that in Kansas. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, but what's interesting is you're, you were at Bank of America till what, 2013, something like that, right? Yeah, I, I know the question, I, I hear a question coming. It's gonna be a story. <laughs> yeah, so, but what I think is interesting is like, all right, so you, but you didn't wait to leave there and then jump head for, first into the deep end of entrepreneurship. You, you didn't wait for, well, someday when all the stars align and I'm, I'm you know, then I'm gonna go do this. You were already, it, the fire was already lit in your belly. You're already making change. You're doing these things while you're there. Then talk to us about, okay, what was that moment like, or that series of moments, I guess, where you said, all right, I got to move. I got to do something like more, not just on the side or two full-time jobs, you know, but I'm going to, I'm going to go dive headfirst into this. Talk to us about that part of the journey. Wow. I had to take a breath on that one. Um, the reason I, I tell people all the time, um, one of my mentors talked about, you know, when you leap um, and it's taking a leap and that leap is, leap is for me, leaping out on faith. Uh, and I always tell people that, you know, we, we, we move when things happen, but we change when we get tired. I have been with Bank of America for 13 years and I thank B of A for all they did for me because th there I learned my leadership skills and I was sitting in my office one day. And so I, I ran the training for, for for Bank of America. So I ran all the technology for the trading floor. Um, what people don't really understand, when you see a trading floor, there's a whole component behind that. My job was running technology. Charlotte had just went through um, the 2008 crisis and we all sat 9-11 right after that. And so um, what happened was B of A was looking at an opportunity to kind of move their, their headquarters, move some of their, their trading technology back to New York. And um, they went through a downsize. And at the time, my life was, I'd say, going through, I, I was at the peak of where I wanted to be at, at the bank, but I was also getting my MBA. I was in the second semester of my MBA. Um, and my boss came to me and said, look, we're going through a downsizing. You have a choice. Either you can look at opportunities in New York 
or you can decide and find some here, but we're going to kind of move in a different direction. I was like, okay, but I'm doing my MBA at Queens. I'm in the second semester. And I never forget sitting in my, my professor's class. And I told him, I was telling him a story about where I was and about the community. And it hit me that they were talking about how to build successful businesses and looking at all, we were, we were doing analysis on all different on successful businesses and how they operate. And it operated from the impact and it operated around knowing your, your, your true value. And that was your employees and your mission. And, and I realized at that time that, that a chapter in my life was about to close. And it was scary. It was very scary. But the day I left Bank of America, I think my greatest weight lifted because I realized now I could focus 100% of my attention on my impact and not having to waver. Um, and I closed that door and I told my friends, you know, I, I, you get those emails about um, here's a job opportunity or here's here's a great initiative or, hey, look, that opportunity in New York is opening up. Would you want to take that opportunity? And I basically deleted all those emails and I closed that I closed that door completely and said, I want to follow what God has put in my heart. And I want to impact communities. And I want to make this work. And so I went 100 percent into driving my business. And that was the most challenging, but most rewarding uh, thing I ever did. And it changed my life. It changed a lot of other people's lives as well. And that was the day I think when I when I, when I tell people, when you leap off, of, when you leap, when you take that leap of faith, and you're 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 stumbling down that that void, and you're hitting those rocks and getting those bruises, and at that one point you you open your arms out and you catch that wind. I caught that wind. And that win is what kind of gave me that uplift. It wasn't easy because, again, remember, I'm I, I've got marginalized rents. My marginal income is very low. I've got great impact, a lot of hope. I'm in a great area that's growing. But I'll tell you this: in the midst of challenge, if you look around, there's always opportunity. I met some great leaders who just believed in me enough to say, you know what, I'm willing to support you. I'm willing to get behind you, and they did that. And to this day, they're still here in my corner fighting and pushing, but guiding me and giving me the valuable nuggets that have allowed me not only to grow my company from a company that, uh, uh, um, a small company to now a company that's not, that's leading the effort on workforce housing and now branching off into a new company that's um, driving and making huge impacts in commercial. And I'm, I'm just so excited. And we did it, a lot of that doing what people thought would be um, downturns in the economy in 2008. Our housing, um, the housing market crashed. We took a challenge. We, we, I took a, a huge hit because the bank stopped. Well, they weren't lending anyway, but, but the small margin of loans I could have gotten kind of froze up. But that taught me something. And I always say when your biggest challenge, your biggest opportunity comes when your biggest challenge shows up. When, when the banks really start dialing back on lending, I had to operate off of operating cash. That taught me so much about being able to survive through the struggle. We didn't miss a mortgage, we didn't miss a payment, and we were still able to help families. And that same challenge was the same challenge we saw with COVID-19 in the housing market. We were able to deliver groceries, food, and supplies, and also regulate and marginalize rents and assist people with different programs during that time frame from the same thing I learned in 2008. Because again, I knew everyone was hurting, but I knew that at the end of the day, my most valuable asset was, was the people that were living out in our homes and the ones that I could help and reshape their lives. So, and I always, I always try to tell people my story, you know, that anything, everything isn't easy, but everything is possible. And that's, that's been driving me. And I've, I've seen the biggest part of my expansion of my company during COVID, um, during times when, um, when, there, when there's, there's been challenges. And I think the biggest thing for me is that during these times, I'm constantly trying to push hope and give people pride and try and just live on the fact of impacting communities. And so as we branched out in COVID to our commercial side, it, um, it, it really took a different turn for our company and grew it. So Chris, I wanna shine a light for a little bit on another aspect of, of you and what you're doing and that's the, the leadership side, right? So you're a community leader and, and you're making this impact from a leadership standpoint. And you mentioned earlier the 23 years in the, the Air Force National Guard. 
Yes. How, how did your experience in the National Guard shape you as a leader? Wow. Um, I'll tell you, coming from a small town, I, coming from a small town, I had a lot of role models in my life, and they were role models in my local community. They taught me so much. Um, but when you go into the military, you're, you're stripped of a lot of the, um, the, act, the things I think that hold you back, and they reshape you. And so for me, one of the biggest attributes as a leader I gained was being able to travel the world and seeing different countries and realizing that across the world, there are people that may not look like me, but may, may look like me. And you start to really be appreciative of what you have and where you come from. And your sense of community now expands. So when, when imagine a, a, a young guy coming from South Carolina that had never been international, being sitting in Turkey, and learning about the culture, learning how to respect the culture, learning how to talk to people that didn't look like me, that didn't speak my language, but we embraced each other. Um, and then going to Denmark and different places like that and just learning about culture. And that's the reason, one of the reasons that to this day, I still like to travel abroad because I love to see how people live and learn how to respect their culture. Because what that does for me in our localized community, I learn how to respect people in our community. Um, I learned community, the true essence of community from a guy named Car Wash in Lockwood. He was a homeless guy that told me that the community, that, that the reason why he was homeless was because he um, had lost family, financial, and social disconnects. For me, that was the same attribute of how I got in the community. I learned that how to rebuild a community is to reconnect those same avenues to make things work. So in being a leader, I'm able to not only have a conversation with the, with the, the gentleman that is, is homeless, but I'm able to walk into the office and see into a CEO's office or the head of a bank and have a conversation the same way. And I think that's the part of leadership that I've learned from the military that has really driven across my leadership within Bank of America and then my leadership within the community. And I'll tell you, the leadership in Bank of America was challenging, and the leadership in, in the military was an educational um, learning opportunity. But if you really want to see true leaders, and I think most companies now today are, are really understanding why their outreach in the community is so important because you find your true leaders that when you find leaders that not only can lead your company, but can also work in the community because that's where true leadership comes at because that's where you're starting to, to drive more into your impact. Yeah. And what were, what were some of the other lessons? Cause there's like four things I want to unpack from this. Um, so before I take us down too many rabbit holes, uh, what were some of the other lessons you took from, from your time in the, uh, in the National Guard that you've been able to apply to, to business? I've been able to apply um, time management is one, being able to, to manage your time, um, service for self, um, meaning that I'm committed to, to serving others and, and then serving myself. That's the creed that the military has, and it still plays a, a part in my life. You know, being able to put the community first. You always hear me say, when I was in the housing side, you know, even though I'm in, I'm in the housing arena, I wear a community hat first. So I'm always thinking, how does this house, how does this opportunity affect the community? Um, the same way with commercial. When you see me speaking, I'm always telling people, I'm a developer, but I wear a community hat. And that community hat comes first. Then I'm the developer. Um, and there's a fine line in between the two, but the community hat stays on. Um, second, the third from the military, I also learned um, teamwork, working with diverse teams, learning how to communicate across all boards and, and realizing everyone has a value. And I want to say this because I think it's, 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 it's uh, relevant in where we are today. Culture, diverse, diversity, and uh, diversity brings the ability to drive companies forward when we can accept, adopt, and integrate our cultures. The things that make us different are the things that can propel us forward. And I think that's, that's something that we're learning about how we deal with different cultures and the innovative thought process. When you look at the leadership in the military, the military is not just one race or one culture or one financial um, background. You've got people coming to the military who come from a, a wealthy family or come from a poor family or you know, different nationalities. And being able to, to be in the military for me taught me how to deal and respect culture, respect, respect diversity, 
but also at the same time being able to understand we have a mission to accomplish. And in that mission, there's no eyes. It's always we and the teamwork. And so when you see me operate in the community, I'm always looking, where's the team? Because if you tell me you, you're doing something in the community and you don't have a team, I'll tell you, you're not working in the community. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, that was a... No, the, I'm, <laughs> there's nothing to apologize. Yeah, no, it's, it's amazing. Um, and another, another piece of the military that you mentioned was the going to other countries, right? Being able to travel and see other cultures. Well, you mentioned before we, we started recording today the, that you go over to Africa for 30 days every year. Can you tell the listeners uh, what you do, do there, why you're doing it? And we can, we can go down that rabbit hole now a little bit. I'll say, um, so in Mombasa, we went to a village and until you see people who are less fortunate, you really don't understand what it's like to be poor. Mm -hmm. I thought that we were poor coming up, but poor for me was just a state of not having because we didn't have a lot. I mean, my family, I'm not saying that we were, we were like poor because I, I never, I never saw what that meant, but I know we didn't have a lot. And when I went to Mombasa and we went to St. Peter's um, missionary, I saw kids who reminded me how I felt when I was in resource classes. They weren't mm -hmm. the kids that were, um, that just were poor. They were the ones who had learning disabilities or the ones who were handicapped. And so this was a missionary that, that was totally different because um, society basically said because of their learning disabilities or their handicaps that they would put them in this, in this orphanage. And they didn't get the support like a lot of other um, orphanages that were in the area that we, we talked about. They were the ones that really relied on um, outreach from other people or from outside of the country. So when we went and we saw those kids, I saw me in that resource class and I saw a need that, you know, we wanted to give back. So a group of guys, we got together and we adopted that that um, that um, orphanage and we did rotations for, as I said, these three years, um, making sure that our rotations would fund the food and, and provide laptops and computers and financing for that orphanage for the entire six months. So when we went six months gap, the next rotation, someone would pick it up. So they had a full year of coverage. And I just thought, I mean, for me, just it humbles me to come back to Charlotte and sit in a community and see all the opportunities that we don't take advantage of. But then to mm -hmm. go to Africa or go to other countries and you see people who, you know, just having running water or having lights is important. And, you know, I tell people we did we did a I did an initiative recently um, um, with our housing side, and it was a model where I took low income houses that were on Baseball Road, and we I can't wear a, 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 a thought process that you can I can tie education to a laundry room because in the low income houses they don't have dominant they don't have laundry rooms, so they go to a laundromat, so they're spending three to five hours at a laundromat on a Saturday or during the week to get their clothes done. And so most kids aren't participating in sports because they don't have, they can't wash their clothes to go play that sport the next day. So I took 18 homes and we went in and we said, my goal is to put laundry rooms in these homes to change their lives. And that came from a trip from Africa because I saw how people were having to spend half a day, three to four hours a day going to wash clothes and then coming back home and trying to cook and eat and educate kids. And that was something that I could do to impact that I took as a thought process there that I brought back home and said, I want to impact these houses, housing here by doing this program. And we want an innovation grant around it, which was amazing. Uh, we did a whole busy video of a family that we went in and, and gave them a laundry, a laundry room and it changed their lives, changed their life. And what I saw in Africa was the same light that I saw in the community on Baysville Road by giving the same hope and taking that same energy and making an impact. So that trip to Africa helped me spark into an idea of putting laundry rooms in low-income housing. 
and it just so happened that, that it was during COVID. So it also it also um, took that family out of a hot spot. They had two little girls. So instead of going to a hot spot where COVID could, they could catch COVID, now they were doing laundry in their in their homes, and it was just a tremendous um, opportunity. And the video we shot for it was just touching. Yeah, um, it's very clear that that you can wear the moniker of Ripple Maker yeah. <laughs> freely, yeah. even though you don't uh, wear it. You you earned it, and so um, I mean, it's really your your story is so inspiring. And do you prefer Chris or Christopher? I'm just curious. Um, I go by I, I go by either. I mean, I, I, being in the military, I go by Dennis, Chris, Christopher. But um, Chris, <laughs> Chris is my, what my friends call me, so Chris is fine. Okay, cool. Um, you know, I want to go back to one thing. Again, this is kind of a recurring theme for every entrepreneur, as far as I'm concerned. And if I got your quote right, you can correct me if I got it wrong. But what I wrote down, and I've got a whole page of notes here, um, is your impact has to be greater than your challenge. I mean, uh, yeah, and, and your why has to be greater than your challenge. That was so you you talked about impact has to be greater than your challenge, but you also said your why. So you're big on Simon Sinek, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's a that's a big thing. But understanding like why are you doing what you're doing? Because it will get tested. You said it early on. It got tested. Thirty banks said uh, thanks, but no. We like that Bank of America and everybody else, but no. And and we understand, you know, they are business people. They are driven by numbers, et cetera, et cetera. Get it. Um, so it's not a ding necessarily on them. But when you were tested, it it went from conviction versus preference. And you, you had conviction. Preference will, will cave when it, the, the going gets tough. Oh, yeah, I, I want to get in shape. Well, are you going to get up every day and do that? Or I want to lose weight. Are you going to actually put the fork down? Are you going to actually make sensible choices? Conviction versus preference. So it's clear you're, you're a man of conviction. So... Um, I thank you for that and for the service that you're giving to people around the world, quite frankly, but also in one of the, the biggest need areas, and that is in affordable housing, and not just, hey, let's go build some government housing and call it affordable housing. You, you've created community. You know, I, I think some of the stuff that you've done there is brilliant, not just block parties, but you, you, you went down beyond the surface and said, well, we're gonna actually have to buy these houses where the drug lords are in. Well, that's kind of scary. Um, I mean, that's terrifying, um, but you, your conviction drove you. So um, thank you very much for that and for being such a, a ripple maker. I wanna just say that before we sign off, but. I wanna, I wanna add something to that, 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 that piece because I, um... I want people to understand that no matter what a person does in life, it doesn't dictate who they are. Um, when we were doing those block parties, I remember going to, we were walking around getting donations to do the block parties and we were going to house to house and everybody in the neighborhood gave about maybe two or $3 or $4, whatever they gave. And we were walking to this one particular house and there was a guy there and they said, this is, this is a drug dealer house. Let's not, let's not go to that house. And I was like, why not? And they were like, no, he's, we, we're just going to bypass the house. I said, well, no, we're going to the house because he's in the neighborhood and we need to get everybody out. And this is a great way to connect. So he walked to the door and I never forget, he opens the door and, um, and I'm like, we're, we're having a block party. We're raising funds. And I noticed that when he opened the door, his little nephew, and I had seen his nephew a couple of times in the community and he'd always come over, was always sociable. And but this time he still he still right beside his, his uncle and they were stay, he was standing there and and instead of and I, I had an opportunity I said this is an opportunity for me because this is an opportunity for change. I said it clearly, not looking at the guy. I looked at the young guy. 
the young kid, I said, we want to do something great in the community. We want to plan a block party to help all the kids come out and have um, bouncy houses and food and fun and do something great. Today, we, we're trying to raise funds. And I said, all I need, and I looked up at the guy, is your help today. And I kid you not, the highest, the, the most money we raised that day wasn't the houses in the community. It was from that one single house. He gave the largest donation for the block party. He didn't give it because it was just about him. He gave it because he didn't want his young nephew to end up like him. And it didn't mm. wasn't apparent until about six months later, because I knew he was going through some challenges. About six months later, I was out doing some work. I think we were planting flowers at the corner um, in front of the church. And he, he came to me. He said, you know, man, whatever you're doing, keep doing it. He said, I'm going away from fair time. He said, but do me a favor. Make sure my, my nephew don't end up like me. Mm. That, was, that was the reason why you can't count anybody out in, our, in communities. So when I talk about impact, I talk about everyone in any change has to be involved. So when you start to make change, you have to include everyone. So when I say a drug dealer and we bought houses, I'm not saying that we pushed anybody out. We try, I try, always try to make sure that we have conversations and let's try and figure out what our medium is and let's figure out what the gain and opportunity is and not just let's move you because when I move you, you're moving to another community. But if I can embrace you and help change your mind state, when you do move, if you do have to move, now you become a flower in your planet and you can create a positive change versus becoming the change, the negative change that you may have been in this particular scenario. So I never allow what someone does to define who that person is. You said one other thing that I, I didn't finish. I wasn't able to write fast enough, but I want to underscore it one more time. But you said the hood is a state of mind, but what's the second part of it? That was a slogan because um, everybody called Lockwood the hood. And you still hear people say, I'm going to the hood. I'm going to this place. And they'll call anywhere, Batesville Road. They say, I'm going to the hood. And the hood is, the hood is a state of mind, but the community is a way of life. And I always ask the community mm. to embrace the way of life, which was community. And that was in, imperative. And so with the developments that we're doing on Bayswell Road, um, Bayswell Road is an area that, again, is marginalized, uh, marginal, has been marginalized. And there's a slogan there that says that Bayswell Road is strong. And I add to that. It's strong because people live, work, and invest in. Because if we don't change the narrative, we'll always be susceptible to what people believe is our narrative. And, it's, uh, and, I, and I take that back to my resource classes. If I believe with their narrative that I would never have a, a learning, my learning capabilities will never be above the seventh grade. If I had accepted that narrative, I wouldn't be talking to you today. Yeah. yeah so we have good. to change how we, what we call, what we say about things, because what you speak on something is what it will become. I want to speak life and, and empowerment and be impactful and be very intentional about what I say about areas that I work in. It's not the hood, it's the community. And I, I, I challenge people all the time, look, what did you say again? No, that's the community. Let's talk about the lock with me, not the hood. All right, so when, one more question from me and I, Ben, you may have some more, but um, community, community, community. Like I hear that, like it's resounding in this entire episode. And you, you said, I look for the team. Who's your team, right? Uh, so I want to know who's, who's your team and, and, and what are the things that you look for in people that you draw strength from and that uh, are part of your team? So I, I've got a, a, a sidekick. I always call my sidekick. Um, uh, the Madison Group, Michelle, she's, she kind of keeps me um, anchored. She's, a, um, she's an indirect business partner of mine. We've done a lot of transactions. So she's on my acquisition side. Then I've got um, uh, Pierce Ward, who does a lot of, he's more of my connector. He's the, he's been the connector of my helmet, my ship. And um, then I've got my banking relationships. I've got three or four banking relationships. And again, these people are, are critical because when you build it, when you build a unique team, that team may not be directly tied to your company, but they're, they're your advisors, they're your partners. And then the people I go to for one thing, which I, I ask people to always be transparent, but also be honest with me. Because the moment you're not honest with me, now you're leading me on a path where I'm trying to build something on a false premises. So when you yeah. asked about my team, my team is 
is is my development team is 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 key around you know my acquisition component my finance component my accounting and i tell any entrepreneur you got to get a good account um and that's key <laughs> and building that relationship man it's it, they're they're all unique relationships and for me being transparent and honest and having integrity is the biggest part and then also just understanding that you know when you you really find out who a person is when they're going through a challenge. And at the end of the day, I'm always gonna be, I'm always gonna have the same integrity. I'm always gonna talk to you the same way, and I'm always gonna try and figure out the solution and never focus on the problem. Well, thank you, Pierce Ward, for connecting us to Chris. <laughs> right. <laughs> to Chris. <laughs> yeah. So shout out to, to Pierce Ward, and he is a great connector in the city. That's that's awesome. So um Man, this yeah, has Chris, been rich. Thanks so much for coming on. There's so many things to unpack here and so many different lessons and just the heartbeat of this entire conversation has been phenomenal. So appreciate you coming on and, and sharing your story and sharing your lessons. I want to just add to, you know, I know we talked a lot about the housing side. Um, eFix Development Corp is the commercial side and we. Yeah, we didn't, we didn't even get into that side of it. <laughs> I know, right? Because look, this is amazing. You talk about building dreams behind me. Um, I had a vision. I asked God. We were doing the how we were doing residential, and um, again, you heard about the struggles. You heard about the challenges. COVID nineteen hit, and I, I I sat for a second. I was like, God, you know, I, I want to get into commercial. I don't know anything about commercial, and when you ask God for something, because He's in my life, and I want to make sure what I ask God, and He's in my life, and I said, God, I want to get a commercial, and He not only brought one development, He brought two. So what, what's behind you is where Chase Bank is on Basement Road, um, but it started off as a dream and a vision. Um, got with uh, the Historic Western Partners. They brought me, Jatai Adams brought me a, a concept Ooh. and said, look, I know what you did in Basement Road, but the key thing was, are you would you would you be interested in looking at a commercial building? I had just asked God about commercial, and here's someone asking me, did I want to buy a building? And the idea was set because it was in a community, again, that was marginalized that I knew I could bring hope to, and I knew that I could try, I could definitely make an impact. My preparation in the housing side allowed me to be prepared to take the opportunity, and it happened. And we did not only do this site, site one, I bought the other side of the street as well. And when, again, when you, when you set on a path, I believe if you build it, they will always come, but that's all based on faith. And Chase Bank, was one of our, is one of our, was is our first anchor tenant there, and it's amazing to have a partner like Chase in that corridor, driving sustainability and stability, and also creating jobs and opportunities. And my team was just so supportive to get it done. We partnered with the city and we partnered with um the local community, and I built on three pillars: community engagement, small business development, and art. I believe in art holistically, but those three things help drive that development. And again, I always tell people. If you tell me that it can't happen, I'll show you a dream of how it can happen. Because before we, before I bought this development, I, 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 now I did have mentors, and I talked to a lot of my mentors, but I had never stepped on on a um, commercial site in my entire life. I never put on a hard hat and went inside a commercial building, looked at red line, look at look at blueprints, or understood a plumbing, or built a performer. And so I tell any entrepreneur. The biggest thing I tell you is before you play the game, you know the rules. I got heavy in learning the rules, and the dream became a reality. And um, I'm excited about the people who, who helped me along the way, have pushed it, and I'm excited that we're making an impact in the community. And now that building behind us um, is, is, is um, due to the historic commission, is now being, being looked at as a, um, a historic landmark in Charlotte because of McDonald's cafeteria. So I'm excited about the work we're doing. And again, it started from a, a young guy out of resource class who was told what he couldn't do and believed in a dream who he could become. And with a lot of help along the way, great people like Pierce and visionaries like Hugh McCall and all the people in between was able to make a dream come true. So I tell people, don't ever look at where a person is. Look at their journey. Look at their story. There's so much behind that. And I'm just excited to be here. Thank you, Chris. This is this is going to be phenomenal to be able to share with uh, with all of our listeners. 
what's the best way for somebody to reach out to you, Chris? So they can they can find us on uh, we we're, we're on Facebook and Instagram. Um, eFix Development Corp um, is our website. So www.efixdevelopmentcorp and um, eFix. I'm sorry, www.e-fixhousingsolutions is our website. So www.efixdevelopmentcorp.com or www.e-fixhousingsolution.com. We also have an eFix handle. I'm relying on my team um, at eFix Development. Um, on Instagram, and I'll tell you, you can always watch me on Facebook or Instagram talking about think big, dream big, be big, and that's my slogan. If you think big, you start to dream big, and when you dream big, you start to be big, and the whole, comp whole, whole premise behind that is about rebuilding communities and doing things differently. What about LinkedIn? You on that too? Yep, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm the Christopher Dennis. I'm, on, I'm, on, I'm as myself on LinkedIn. Um, All right, cool. Yeah, this is this is really good. There's a lot of uh, nuggets here, and when we get done with this, um, we're gonna have to talk offline because I've got some connections that I think would be good um, as well. So, <clears throat> anyway, yeah, thank you so much for your time and your team, uh, your inspiration. Um, you know, your your story is extremely inspiring, at least to me, and I know it will be to many. Well, I'm excited. We're doing a we're we're launching out right now with uh, some sp inspirational speaking engagements and working with corporations again around talking about the why. You know, um, I had a company just recently reached out, and so we're going to talk about what it's like to be in corporate America and build diversity, and then how do you take that from diversity into the community? So I'm excited. I'm excited about what's 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 happening. I'm excited to get back, and I'm excited about my new accountant as well. <laughs> <laughs> We're, we're excited about that too. 